Hello and welcome to Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyman. Today I'm with a very special guest. Uh, it's Luke D. Bold, and he is a web developer at Agripath in Newcastle, I believe. And he is one of the few people uh, on our podcast uh, guest list who actually is not working with Flutter. All right. Um, so you guys may be wondering, you know, why am I inviting somebody on to a Flutter podcast who doesn't do Flutter? Well, that's because I believe Quasar is a kind of somewhat competing framework. And I think it's a good idea for us to kind of get an idea about, you know, other things that could actually work in your situation. And so that's why I asked him to come aboard and kind of let us know more about Quasar. So Luke, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself, like where you're from, what you do, so on. Yeah, sure. So, hey everyone, my name's Luke, uh, Luke Diebold. I live in uh, Newcastle in Australia and yeah, uh, like Alan said, I work as a web developer there for an agriculture company, which is really, really cool. And one of the reasons that we love using material design, because I'm guessing people that listen to this podcast are into material design. So that's definitely something we all have in common. Uh, yeah, one of the reasons we love it is because we deal with a lot of data input. It's like the core of what we do, getting input from farmers and being able to do that with a framework like um, Quasar in my case is awesome because all of those different like data input needs is just so beautifully handled for you and you can just concentrate on you know building the logic for the application and the design just works. So. Yeah, that's a bit of a bit of background for me. But I think if I remember correctly, you actually didn't go like what we would call the typical developer route where you kind of studied CS and you went forward, right? Maybe you can give some more discussion about kind of how you got to where you are now. Like what did you start off doing and then what had what happened? Yeah, sure. I mean, if I go way back to the start, I first started uh, learning to code using Construct 2. Actually, no, before that it was the Games Factory. So that's like a click-drag sort of thing that you can use to make your own games. Um, but now I actually remember when I wanted to be a, a developer, when I wanted to do development at school, it was kind of like halfway through year 11. Um, and so a lot of people, at least in Australia, year 11 and 12 are high school for us. We kind of count year 11 and 12 um, as prepare, like 11 is preparing for high school in year 12. Um, and so I remember the teacher saying to me, no, you can't do this because you don't have the background knowledge to do computer science. But it turns out I had actually learned most of computer science by accident by using the Games Factory, this click drag tool. So yeah, I just kind of like telling that story because, you know, if, I think a lot of people think that they can't do web development or they can't do computer science. But um, yeah, you'd, I think a lot of people would surprise themselves. But anyway, um, yeah, I went to university and studied classical piano and musical theater. So I spent about five or six years doing going down that route. Um, and then I had this really cool idea for a music game that I wanted to build because I'm really into music theory and oral. And there was this musical language called solfa. Uh, and solfa basically allows you to learn how to speak music. It's like a language for speaking music. And I really wanted to create like a website with games that would teach people how to learn um, how to learn this musical language because I thought it was so cool and so much fun. And so uh, that's kind of how I got into programming. It wasn't because I wanted to code so much. It was more that I had this vision of something that I wanted to build and coding was the way for me to go ahead and actually like see that vision through. And that's how I got into web development for the, the dream of building this website. Um, and then from there, 
I spent a few years working on that website whilst I was doing piano teaching. And I came to realize that I hate, I hate writing CSS. Um, I, I'm guessing most of the Flutter community knows what CSS is because, yeah, so, okay. <laughs> because I, I don't know, because I know Flutter exports to other platforms and I think you use a language called Dart, which is... So anyway, um, I, I hated writing CSS with a passion. And so later on down the line in my life, when I discovered um, material design, I tried frameworks like Quasar and Beautify. Um, and yeah, it's, I, because I'd already spent a little bit of time using Vue.js and Beautify and Quasar are built on top of Vue.js. And yeah, I just absolutely fell in love with writing sites with material design. I just thought it was so cool that Google had basically done this research and came up with these design patterns that people would be able to understand, but I could still style to my liking. It's almost like Google did a lot of the hard work for me, um, you know, with all of these kind of design patterns. And then all I had to do was just whack those components into my site. And so, yeah, that's kind of my story of how I came across Quasar and, and why I sort of fell in love with material design frameworks. Okay. That's, that's uh, a lot. I, I think the, the biggest <laughs> thing is, right, like, why did you guys decide upon using Vue, though? I mean, Vue and and Material Design, right? So, I mean, I don't know. Material Design has got a lot of heat. In fact, when some guy, um, sorry to say some guy, I don't want to, like, demean him, but somebody wrote on a comment on one of the videos really, like, going off on Material Design and how bad it is. Um, and I had a discussion with my designer, and she also kind of agreed with him. That, uh, yeah, there, you know, there could be, it doesn't, it's not the, you know, the silver bullet, right? It, you know, it doesn't solve all issues. Um, sure. So, you know, like, why should people really care about material design, right? It's, it, it, does it, do you think it's really that much greater than maybe just making up something on your own or following a different kind of pattern? That's, that is a really great point. I mean, for me, I can only really speak from, from personal experience. For me, I found I sunk a lot of time into thinking about design patterns. And I found that in the long run, this is just for me. Like I know that a lot of designers out there really know what they're doing. Um, I was just doing my own project. And I found that a lot of the design patterns that I was coming up with um, weren't really that intuitive. And I'd come back later and go, oh, actually, no, this actually doesn't really feel so good. Whereas I found once I started using material design, I, I didn't feel that as much anymore. But that's, that's only one of the points. The main point for me is just not thinking so much about it anymore. So I work for a company where there's only two web developers at the moment. We don't have a design team. We don't have a focus, um, you know, a focus team that are thinking about UX and creating a good UI experience for the user. That kind of lands on me and the other developer at the moment. And who knows, maybe at some point down the line, we will start moving to something that is a bit more custom. But for us to be able to pick up a design framework like material design, I don't know if you'd call it a framework or design patterns or whatever, but for us to be able to use material design and get something that looks good and that is familiar to users because it's so widely used, to me, that is a big win. And so I guess, <laughs> I guess that's yeah, I what think I'd we say. Had a, I believe it was Will Larsh was on here a few weeks back and we actually he actually came on like, a day or two after they just talked about the recent changes to material design and with Android, the new it was Android 11, I think that's coming out. 
where you can they can take a look at your home screen picture yeah. and use that to base the color scheme for the rest of your rest of app right one of the apps that you have um he i think he basically said that you know most people are working alone right and to have something where they can just kind of like not really cookie cut, but it's kind of like, okay, you need to make a button, you use this, you need to do that, you use this. And it's just a very easy kind of to follow standard. And it's actually made for, for people like you guys, right? Where you're just a developer and you need something and you don't know how to do it. And so you just kind of reach into this toolbox and just pull out what you need, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And like on top of that, I've also found that removing the quote unquote material design feel at least in my experience with Quasar, it's not that difficult. I mean, you do stuff like flatten things here and there, change some colors. Um, and in my experience, at the end of the day, material design isn't really doing that much that I can't remove when I'm using Quasar. Like, and, and, and so from that point of view, to me, it was kind of a no-brainer to use a framework like Quasar. And I don't know what this is like with Flutter. Actually, I'd be interested to know how easy is it to remove that material design feel with Flutter if you wanted to? You know, this is this is a very good question. Um, so as somebody who, who, who doesn't have Flutter experience as yourself, right, I'll try to see if I can explain this in a, in a simple way. Um, but I mean, no, I, I, it's also a good test for me too. <laughs> yeah. um, so... Uh, if anybody has another way to say this, please, you know, let me know. But the way I'm going to try to explain this to you is that uh, when you have Flutter, you obviously you know how to use HTML, right? Because you're a web developer. So Flutter is very much a tree yep. format where you have like oh, a yeah, top sure. level root. <laughs> and then from there, you have a bunch of children, right? The root of any application most likely is going to be some kind of app, as they call it. And usually you use something called Material App. Uh, but they also have another app called Cupertino App. So obviously, if you're going to do an iOS looking app, you'd use Cupertino app. If you're going to be using any kind of thing, other thing, you use Material. Um, but I mean, other than that, I mean, I, I, I do. This is kind of another question, kind of going back to something I kind of asked uh, Will Larsh about um, from the Material team. Is the more I customize the Material Design stuff, like how how in line am I with Material Design, like? Because I, I, I don't know about you, but like you, you look at an app that's written for Android, which is kind of the material design de facto, right? And you, and you know if it's written in Android yeah. because it looks the same as any other app when you don't really get in there and start styling things and making them very personal. So like how much changing can I do until I'm not using material design anymore is the question that I, that's kind of I'm kind of alluding to. Because like I, I had a button and all this stuff, but then okay, if I change that button, how much changes can I do until I'm not doing material design anymore? Like it still acts like a button. If I tap on it, it does something like, but does that mean it's not a material design button anymore? Like what do you, can you, maybe you can answer this more than me because maybe you know more about material design than me. I just look at a design and I try to match it, not pixel for pixel, but as close as I can. And uh, I use material design technically, but I also customize it to make it fit whatever the design is. So I don't know if I'm still doing material design. I mean, this is on me. I have to look it up. But like, do you have an answer for that for somebody who I think is you're more of a material design expert than me, right? <laughs> Honestly, probably, <laughs> probably not. Um, I I actually I don't know the answer to that. Um, oh gosh, I wouldn't even know how to. And honestly, it's probably more. It's probably one of those questions that doesn't really have an answer, or it's a spectrum. 
you know, it's it's a bunch of rules and guidelines, um, and you follow those rules and guidelines. It's you know, it's it's kind of like music. In music, there's a lot of rules and guidelines to make music sound quote-unquote good to make it sound pleasant to the ears and they came up with these rules um you know a while back i think a lot of it was very well established kind of in the baroque period and probably a little bit before then as well um but the idea was you would learn these rules and guidelines and then once you knew them and you understood them you could then go ahead and start breaking those rules and guidelines um but because you understood them you could still keep that the underlying concepts um and you could still keep the good feel of the music, you know, the feeling that it, that things would feel complete, um, and all that, all that kind of stuff. Like um, different cadences. By knowing all of that, you could then start adding different flavors on top of it. Um, and you, you listen to a lot of music later on in the Romantic period. I hope this music analogy is okay, but um, yeah, like as we go through the periods from like Baroque to classical and then Romantic, they start breaking the rules more and more and more. But the interesting thing is, even in the Romantic period, um, you can almost always find those underlying rules in the music. And I think this is just like material design as well. And honestly, coding in general, where we've got um, these hardcore rules, like the solid principles. And if you follow them to the best of your ability, um, for the most part, you're probably going to have a pretty nice code base that's going to be easier for people to understand. It's going to be easier to grow, you know, all that good stuff. But there are situations where it just doesn't make sense, where it's overkill. Um, and so I, I think this is kind of the same material design where you get a good understanding of it. You build up that foundation of knowledge, which to be honest, I don't, I feel like I still don't have that foundation enough to start breaking those rules yet. I, I'm not a designer. Um, <laughs> definitely not a designer but yeah you you learn the foundations and then as you get really good with them you start adding your flavors on top and i like that strategy i think that strategy makes more sense for me in my development than saying i'm going to become a pro designer learn as much as i can about design and then just build something that i hope is good from the beginning whereas i'd rather another good example of this is a framework like vue.js or laravel um, I like using Laravel on the back end. It makes a lot of wise decisions and uses a lot of conventions for me, so that I don't, um, so that I don't make mistakes in the future. I didn't go get a computer science degree. I didn't go down that sort of traditional route. Um, and I think even a lot of people that don't have real world experience will probably shoot themselves in the foot a lot if they try and build um, their own framework from the ground up for a large business. You know, like I was going into this large company and I had to manage a lot of their data input. And if you try if you try and do everything yourself from scratch and you don't follow conventions like material design or using frameworks like Laravel, I think you're more likely to shoot yourself in the foot. At least um, that's my experience. I'm sure there might be some pros out there that just got it right the first time, but that hasn't been my experience. Yeah, that's a good point. I, it kind of reminds me of like... Um... You ever seen, I think you're probably a guy who likes to watch TV. Have you ever seen House before? Oh, I did watch a little bit of House. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't watched it too much, but I think if I remember correctly, he's kind of one of those guys where he just kind of comes in there. Here's like one or two things and he's like, no, this, this is it right here. This rare disease, you have this thing right here. Like you can just kind of pick, like what, I, what I'm trying to relate is like, um, like you're talking about, like, you know, when to break or bend the rules. And I think that comes with experience, right? Once you yep. kind of get to a certain point, you're like, okay, for this situation, 
we need to do it this way. Although we're breaking what we established, but for the greater good, it makes more sense to do it this way. That's kind of the, what I would say, like when you talk about material design, we could stray away from the path, but for the greater good, you know, if we followed everything to a T, then nothing would ever get done <laughs> or nothing would, not nothing, but some things wouldn't, wouldn't be proper, right? Yeah. Yeah, like you, you hear these stories. Um, I actually heard it from a guy that I worked with um, recently where somebody, that, a company will hire someone who's just come out of a degree and got really good marks, but doesn't have real world experience. Um, and this story, that, um, this story that I was told was this guy who was basically rolling his own uh, PHP API um, thing. Basically, he was building his own API with PHP from scratch rather than using a framework like Laravel or using Django or Django. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that. Or rather than using one of those frameworks that does a lot of the work for you, he, roll, he was rolling his own. And apparently, he's been working on that for about six months now. And it's this sort of great, quote-unquote greenfield project that's meant to be this amazing thing that's going to solve all of their problems. Um but yeah, he's, he was working on it for six months and still didn't really have anything to show for it. Uh, now, maybe I'm wrong here, but my instinct tells me that in that case, it's probably just better to find a tool that is going to solve that problem. Um, sorry, I don't remember what the original question was, but um, the point I'm making now is, yeah, it's, it's better to find a tool that is going to solve your problem. Um, and if you do want to do things more custom, which is great, and I think we should be doing um, custom things when it calls for it, it makes a lot more sense when you have real-world experience. Otherwise, you put this huge amount of work into this project, um, and then you try it in the real world, and then realize that there's all these bits and pieces that don't make sense. But anyway, that's one of those things I guess you just need to learn as a programmer. You just you don't notice, you don't know these things until you make those mistakes. Yeah, I think domain knowledge <laughs> definitely helps, right? So like. When you're in some situation, then you you'll know. Oh, what about this? What about that? And then, yeah, I I I've been in some some situations where similar to uh, to what you said. I, I when I worked in the bank, uh, we had this team, and I think they assembled their own JSON by hand somehow because they were missing commas and their nulls were all capitalized with with double quotes around them, so they were actually coming as strings. Same with their booleans, so. And I know exactly what you said, like that, that, what you know, you never really know what, what's going on the other side, right? You, you, if you were in the same situation, maybe you'd be doing the same thing as them. So you'd be surprised at how yeah. much things inside these big companies works. And, you know, maybe a lot of times it's because I can't pull in a dependency because I have to get that checked by, I have to get three to five levels of improvement. Plus, I have to wait for the security guy to double check it, make sure there's no sneaky snuff inside. And is it really worth it? My <laughs> boss says I have to finish it by next week. It's going to take me six months to do all the paperwork. Forget about it. I'll just copy and paste or I'll just do this and let the other guy deal with it himself. <laughs> like That's kind of the, the feeling I get sometimes. But uh, yeah, I don't want to <laughs> yeah. go down the, the long path. Um, but no, it's good to hear about that, that you're really promoting uh, material design. I don't think not many people around me are really promoting it, but I think, you know, it depends. I think a lot of times people just kind of have to use it. Like if you're doing like Android, it's just kind of stuck a little bit uh, unless you do heavy customization. You can, you can understand why you would hate that as a designer, 
Like, I, I love it because I feel like I feel like I don't need a designer. Maybe I'm wrong about that. At least at this point in the project's life cycle, I don't feel like uh, – like, it seems like the, the farmers are understanding our software pretty well. Um, but you can understand how, as a designer, this is what you've been doing. Like, this is what you went uni- to university and studied. Like, how to lay things out, how to make things look beautiful and handcraft them yourself. And then all of a sudden, this material design comes along. It's like, well, actually, you need to do it our way now. You can see how, from a designer's point of view, that kind of sucks. Like, Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I it's just it. more so a set of principles, right? And I think you have to have some kind of set of principles. And uh, like I said, again, speaking to, the, to Will, um, he kind of came to me and he was like, listen, this is what it's for. You know, it's to lay out, it's to get these certain things, and this is what we're after and we, we're not just doing things and just telling people what to do for fun. Like we spent millions of dollars or definitely a ton of money on research, just on research, right? Because think about it. Like if you can't use your Android phone, then forget about it, right? These guys are spending tons of money and then they're redoing their whole entire Google infrastructure over material design. So there must be something there that they're promoting that they see use in it. And the biggest thing is they want you to use their software. They want you to use their website. That's how they make money. So it must be something there uh, or else they wouldn't be developing and, and spending so much money on this and letting other people use it. I mean, uh, something. Yeah. The, the, and there must be like an elephant in the room here where there's probably people thinking, and you know what? This might be true. There might, there's probably people thinking that there's some sort of a, an agenda as well by having their own design patterns and getting it out there and making it popular then if people are used to Google's design patterns, then they're going to use Google products. So if they use my app that uses material design and then they go over to a Mac, they're going to feel less comfortable than if they use my app and then go over to a Google product. Okay, that was kind of, that wasn't the best example, but you know, hopefully that kind of, that makes sense where you can understand how people might think that this is just another way of Google trying to get you to use their products. And I I don't even know what to say to that, to be honest. Like, maybe that's true. I don't know how much I care. But then again, I don't know how much I should care. Maybe I should care more about that. So, I don't know, just sort of throwing it out there. That, that, that could be part of that as well. I'm sure part of it definitely is, right? But if you think about it too, it also works the other way around too. Like, if so many people use Google Maps, Gmail, etc. So now if they're used to using those products and then they go to your app, they could use it even easier technically, right? So it's almost helping each other out. That's another way to yeah. look at it, right? So I mean, oh, totally. The flip side is totally true as well. But it also solves your issue. You don't have a designer, right? You don't have a UX. It's not even about design to me. It's about UX. Can they actually use your product? Yeah, totally. Um, that's, and they, I mean, they call it material design, but you actually hit a really good point there. Where it does feel more like material UX. You know, it's, I, I don't use it to make my, my website quote unquote sexy. I think everything looks beautiful from the beginning. It feels nice. It feels, uh, it feels modern, at least in my eyes, from my perspective. And yeah, but, but for the most part, I don't feel like sometimes I go to a website that's quite clearly not using material design and I go, wow, this looks awesome. Um, and, you know, my websites don't feel like that when I'm using material design. However, they do feel usable with very little effort on my part. So, yeah, I don't know. Pros and cons. 
No, it's it's good to hear about this. It's good to hear about this from somebody who's using it in a development standpoint, right? I'm I'm happy you bring this up, uh, but of course, this is not what we what we have you here for. So it's good to hear. But no, but it sounds like that that material design is a back is a back. What do you call that? Is a major part of using Quasar, right? Yeah. Um, it actually it used to be used to have two options where you could use either material design. Or you could use like a more Apple design. I think they called it iOS. But they actually got rid of the iOS design, which in my opinion kind of makes sense because it kind of goes back to what I was talking about before. Removing the material design feel is really, really, really easy with Quasar. I mean, it's just a few attributes away. Um, and if you really want to, I think there's some ways you can do it globally. Honestly, I never do it. So I, I actually don't even know. I can't even remember if you can do that. But you could set up like base components, for example, for all of the main components you use and set up some of the designs yourself if you'd like to. Uh, but, but yeah, it's, it, it is easy to take away that material design feel. Okay, that's, that's good to know. Um, all right, maybe it's good to get, kind of get back to more about, you know, Quasar, right? So are, you're actually using Quasar in your work or this is just something extra on the side? Uh, both. So I use it in my work. Um, like I said before, I work for an agriculture company. Um, and we've been using Quasar from the beginning. So I was the first developer. And actually, the reason I got the job is because uh, I was a, working as a piano teacher at the time. And I wrote a post online saying, hey, I can write code. This is what I do in my spare time. I love it. It was like a hardcore hobby of mine. And then an old friend from school hit me up and he's like, Hey, I got something that you might be able to help me with. And they had all of their data in Excel spreadsheets. And this is an insane amount of data that they had in Excel spreadsheets. And they were referring to spreadsheets that referred to spreadsheets. And they would have this data model and they'd have this one spreadsheet that pulled in other spreadsheets, ran some code. And then like, apparently sometimes it would take them hours to get some results. Um, hours, you know, stuff that using a MySQL database literally takes you milliseconds. They would have to sit there and just run it on multiple computers and they'd still get errors. And when the errors came up, they had to get somebody who understood the code to dive in there and like fix it. And so my original job was to basically take that spreadsheet and stick it into a database, take one of their like final higher level spreadsheets and put it in a database. And so I got that done, was able to do that. And I used Quasar for it. And um, from there, I just kept using Quasar. I thought about using something like Nuxt, which is like another view tool and some of the other tools out there. But it just kept having answers for my problems for every single data problem. there. And I bet you that you guys get this feeling as well in the Flutter community as well, where it's like, oh, I need something to display data um, over time and I can take use a timeline component. I need to organize things using ranges or I need an input field. I need a select field. I need to be able to search through that select field. I, all of these data problems that we had, you know, needing to show things in a dialogue, having to show a whole bunch of things through cards, having to show a table and have all the data display in a table, um, and then having super customized things I want to do to that table so that it's displayed in certain ways, like it gets certain colors and feels that I want. All of that stuff was answered for me with Quasar from the beginning. And I had no idea how lucky I was until later on. And I see these other people having these design problems. Uh, some people love these design problems. It's what they want to spend their time on. But 
that's why I chose Quasar. I chose Quasar in the beginning because I liked it. It was a new technology I was trying. I like the idea of material design, but the reason that we really stuck with Quasar and the reason that we're using it in um, in my work is simply because it has such quick, such wonderful answers for all of our data input needs. Usually, more than one answer as well. Uh, you know, you could sometimes you could um, use uh, icon. What are they called? Like checkbox. You could use checkboxes, or you can use um, chips with like ticks on them, for example, if you want to check different things. Um, you know, there's there's like little different ways that you can experiment with stuff that I probably wouldn't have thought of on my own. So, uh, yeah, that's why we use it in our work. And that's kind of why I chose uh, the Quasar technology to begin with. Okay, so out of the box, I mean, what I was thinking that Quasar was, was some kind of way to wrap a view app into something like a container. But now it sounds like it's actually much more than that. Yeah, so I think this is a common misconception about Quasar. It's, it, you know, it, Quasar has, I've, it's very difficult to sell people the right way with Quasar, I think. I say sell, it's an open source, completely free project, but still really you're selling the idea of Quasar. Um, and, and one of the problems is that it, there's a couple of things that Quasar is. First of all, and the main selling point is that it exports to all platforms. So you build your, you build it like a website, kind of like um, either as an SPA um, or PWA is probably going to be like the main way that you build it. But then you can export that using SSR, so server-side rendered application, to a mobile application, uh, to a desktop application, to, um, I don't know, whatever platforms there are. Basically, any platform is covered with Quasar. That's one of the selling points. But to me, that's not the main selling point. In fact, I actually don't use those export um, options in my day-to-day -day work. I just built a website, but in the future, we might use those other export prop, um, options. The other huge selling point that is often missed is the component library is phenomenal. It is so beautifully done, and the API is just so wonderfully thought out. And they utilize, um, and I might be going beyond the knowledge of the Flutter community here, but we use things like view slots, um, in, in a really smart way and attributes on your HTML to basically get any style that you could possibly need. Uh, so that's the other big selling point. It has got an enormous component library. But the third selling point that is often missed, and this is the one that you don't get until you actually use Quasar, is that um, Quasar, Quasar is also a library of tools to help you along your development journey. So it's got things like date utilities, um, date utility functions, uh, managing color utility functions as well, um, checking what platform you're actually on at the time. So checking if you're on a um, if you're on a Windows or the you know the sizes of the screens, things like managing layout as well, all that kind of stuff like. Quasar aims to have a full developer experience. And I really love that because I love it when a framework makes decisions for me. Things like animations, it uses like this morph concept in order to do animations. So I can very easily do basically any and any of the core animations that I would like to use in a material design app um, quite easily using this morph concept. And so I think this is often what's missed about Quasar. And that actually brings us to sort of the the fourth thing which is like the biggest problem with the selling point here is when people discover that it can do all of those things 
they think I think they tend to think it probably doesn't build a website very well because it's focused on all of this other stuff, which is just blatantly not true. It builds a beautiful website. It's the development experience for building a website is beautiful. It's got stuff like code splitting um, and all that kind of goodness that you would expect with a developer experience building a website. Um, and all of these experiences for building on these uh, different platforms are really, really nice. Um, but yeah, because there's all of that stuff that it can do, people also get the feeling that it might be bloated. Um, but it's a very much an opt-in mentality with Quasar. You start with very bare bones, virtually nothing to begin with, You know, just a skeleton that you can sort of customize however you like. But then you bring things in, you pluck things that you want and pull them into your project. Uh, yeah, so uh, so hopefully that answers the question of what Quasar is because it is very hard to describe and I feel like it takes me about five or ten minutes to truly do it justice to what this framework's actually doing. Um, it really is a framework. It's not just a library. It's a framework for building um, applications for all of these different platforms. Okay. Uh, I'm starting to wrap my head around it. I mean, the, the thing that does sound interesting is you have the server-side rendering that's already there. People have actually been asking for something like that within Flutter because Flutter does export to web, um, but there's nothing in there about server-side rendering, but it sounds like you you can actually do that with Quasar, right? I and mean, that's because it's leveraging Vue.js to do this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's because um, the architecture is really well thought out. It, 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 you know, this is one of the, okay, it's one of those things I can't really get into on a podcast because, you know, it's, it's very sort of like low-level stuff, but because of the way Vue is architected, um, and because Quasar is very close to Vue, Vue code, you're basically just writing Vue code at the end of the day with Quasar and you're pulling in their component library. Um, Vue has a very well thought out solution to SSR. And for that reason, Quasar has been very easily able to tap into that. And so things like um, doing good SEO applications is very, very easy using Quasar because um, maybe this is a problem. I don't know if you have a solution to this with Flutter, but one of the problems with building SPAs is that um, SEO sucks. It's getting better, and um, these days there are a lot of things you can do, but you, you kind of have to have a little bit of extra knowledge to do good SEO with an SPA. But when you're doing it with SSR, server-side rendered, um, basically the reason that works really well, I won't go too deep into this, but it means that you get you can get the meta tags on the first render of your application. Um, and because of that, you get good SEO using SSR because when the crawler follows that link, they can see all of those meta tags. Whereas you don't get that with an SPA. The crawler needs to wait and certain things need to happen before you get those tags injected um, into your website. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a huge benefit. And actually, it's I can understand why the Flutter community would want something like that. Um, and I'd be curious to know actually what Flutter people do about that problem. Like how do they handle SEO and whether or not that's the kind of problems they're even solving in the Flutter community? Yeah, the I haven't seen them on SSR, but I wouldn't be surprised if you're looking at that. Um, but they are trying to address the issue of SEO. Um, but yeah, there there hasn't been anything done yet. I think what they, they're kind of saying right now is like, okay, if you want to build an actual app that doesn't need to be uh, scanned with Google to index, then it works fine. But if you do want that, just wait a moment. We're working on it right now. We're, we're, we're going to get something out to you. Um, they are making changes. So I did see recently they, they had like um, screen readers working 
with certain things and like you can tab around between different places so that you can start like people who are uh, visually impaired, they could still use your app. So there's progress being done. It just takes time, right? It's, you have to like, it's hard to balance like being able to, to basically paint whatever you want on the screen, which is actually what you can do with Flutter. I don't know if you can do the same with Quasar, but for sure you can do it with Flutter. Like you basically, you, your whole entire screen is basically a canvas and you're the painter. You literally can paint whatever pixel you want. You can be that fine grain. Um, but with Quasar, it sounds like you're still pulling out components, right? Because that kind of leads back to view where you have to create components and components will go into other components and make another component, right? Is that kind of the, the ideas that you have? Yeah. I mean, I've got to be honest, I don't fully <laughs> even know what that looks like. You know, this whole, uh, this painting concept with, um, yeah, basically we're, we're just building, we're building for the web. And so, I mean, I should even say up front here, this is something maybe we should go into. One of the reasons you wouldn't choose Quasar and you would clearly choose Flutter instead is if you need that closeness to the hardware that gives you hardcore performance. Um, and so, like, because with Quasar, uh, when you export to these different platforms, uh, especially for something like mobile, essentially what you're doing is, um, and I don't understand the intricacies of it, but essentially you're kind of taking a website and you're trying to sort of put that into a mobile app. And it turns out this actually works really well. And the performance is, is really, it's good. Like the performance is pretty good. But if you're building something like an Excel document app, for example, on your phone, like it's, it, it's something that you just, I can't imagine it would be a good idea to reach for something like Quasar for that because you probably want to get quite low level or other stuff as well. Like, um, Maybe if you're building an Instagram type app where you want to add filters, there's probably workarounds and ways that you can do that effectively using something like Quasar, but you'd have to do a lot of rejigging, right? Whereas with something like Flutter, you can get much closer. I imagine that you can get a lot closer to to the hardware in order to solve those problems. Uh, so yeah, the, the design the design experience I think is quite nice with Quasar. Um, I, I actually, I don't know what it's like using something like... Uh, like like flutter but yeah it's, we're using a, a very much a component design where basically you drop these components in and you're in charge of making it responsive as well making sure that it works on all devices and that's just like building a website that works on all devices that's kind of how we think of it let's just build a website that works on all devices and it will work when you put it on a mobile app if that makes sense yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of overlap. Um, it seems like if you're somebody who's already using Vue.js and, you know, in this component mindset, maybe Quasar is something that could be more interesting for you than going to look at Flutter, right? You, you're sticking with what you know, right? You're still writing JavaScript, it sounds like, right? Yeah. So maybe this is kind of like a good distinction saying, okay, if you're already in the JS land and you like it, and you know you 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 don't need something so performant as or you know could maybe it could be performant enough for your your thing if you think it's quite quite out there, but for sure like you know if you're already using Vue.js, I think Quasar sounds like a really good option rather than picking up something totally new. Um, but yeah, I mean if you the nice part about Flutter like you're talking about right now, yeah, you can get really close to that to the. Um, you can get really close to the uh, the hardware, right? It actually compiles directly to binary code. So when you're in development mode, you get like this VM where you can push new code and you get a hot code reload. So everything just changes as soon as you save it. Just like when you're working with websites, right? You save it, 
there's an auto reloader that can see that you changed the file and just refresh your browser. Similar concept within Flutter. So if you want to get an idea of what it's like to work, when you're developing, you get this kind of thing. But when you actually have a compiled app, when you're going production style, there's no refreshing. It's just compiled binary on your device. I don't know if Quasar has the same thing. Maybe, maybe not. Um, the, I mean, the, the large answer is I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that it is not going that low level. I mean, we are, you're going to hit the limits. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're writing HTML and CSS and you're trying to use that HTML and CSS um, and turn it into an Android app, or an iOS app, it's like there's there's no way it can do that with 100% efficiency. It's just not it's not feasible. Um, having said that, you can you can do stuff like PWAs where you can then install it onto the per, onto the user's device, um, and then there's this new concept of TWAs which I just learnt about, which is you know trusted web applications. Um, and to the best of my knowledge, that's basically a PWA that you can install on uh, the Android store. I could be getting this wrong, but I think that's what it is. So the huge, the very exciting thing there for me is that it's bridging the gap between what is a website and what is an app, which is really exciting for me because um, I don't want to export to to mobile. I would much rather just have an app web application, keep all of my focus there, and then someone can go to the Google Play Store, for example, and hopefully we'll get this on iOS at some point, but it seems unlikely, at least in the <laughs> in the short term. But I think the idea is I build my website as a PWA. Somebody can then go onto the Google Play Store and install my my app just as they would on the Google Play Store, whereas behind the scenes, it's actually a PWA. Like, I reckon that is insanely cool. And now, like, we're learning about this other stuff, like... um compiling to the web. I did a podcast the other day with um with someone who did uh, what's his name? Eric who did stack who's the CEO of Stackblitz. Uh, which is basically creating, if I'm getting this right, and I'm sorry Eric if I'm not, a Unix operating system within your browser so that it can run uh it can run Node.js inside of your browser and you can actually do web development within a coding editor in your browser and it is insanely fast. And so they're talking now about using languages like Python, um, C++, uh, whatever on the web and it's actually really fast as well. And I'm not talking about using Python and then compiling it um, to something, to like JavaScript code. No, I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about languages native on the web. Like this is where, this is where we're going which is ridiculously exciting to me. So sorry, I'm sort of bouncing around a little bit here. Um, I can't remember the original question, but it's like, yeah, this this concept of moving, we're kind of, we got PWAs, now we're moving towards TWAs, that combined with the fact that we'll now be able to use lower level languages inside of the web is super exciting to me because I think we are eventually going to start getting that performance that we desire as web developers. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, some of us already over here. You're talking about WASM, basically. Yes, right? I kept trying to think of the name of it, and I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So if I remember correctly, even AutoCAD, somehow I think what they did was they made some changes to their own. I'm trying to remember. It's like kind of like, you know, hearsay, right? It's like I'm hearing from a person who told me something from something else. But I think I heard that AutoCAD, they made some tweaks to their existing code base 
but it wasn't a lot. And then they were able to use Wasm to export their app to now using basically a PWA or something similar for the web, um, which just helps a lot. And, and companies like Photoshop that want to have a SaaS model, but are afraid to release an actual app and getting it cracked, like something like this could definitely be up their alley, right? Because it's like, okay, I don't have to worry about somebody cracking it because it's on our website and, you know, they could just, but then again, that if Wasm too, you're going to download it too. You can probably decompile it, but I don't know how much you can do. I mean, it, it'd be interesting to see like what you can do with Wasm and how protected you can make your, your code, right? If that's like your IP, right? If we're able to download all of whatever, you know, software X that's been, you know, behind a wall, like, can we actually secure it enough? It's, it's really interesting you bring that up kind because of Eric, um, who the CEO of StackBlitz, um, by the way, I'm not affiliated with them at all. I just freaking love what they've done and think it's mind-blowing. You should check out stackblitz.com and just open a Vue.js app and look at how quick the editor opens. Like, it's actually faster than Visual Studio Code, which... Unless you learn the details of how it works, which I don't understand, um, it's apparently makes sense that for some reason you can run something like VS Code faster in your browser than if you actually have it as an Electron app. And, you know, VS Code has done some crazy stuff to try and optimize their app. But, um, yeah, this, apparently, though, their main shtick is actually security. And at the beginning, they were wondering how they're going to make this profitable and it turns out that security is their biggest selling point because the browser is supposedly the most secure place um, th th there is because so much time and effort has been put into security, which is really, really interesting. Um, the, the concept that using your browser to build these apps uh, will not only make it more accessible and will also, re I'm guessing, reduce the file size dramatically but also give you these huge security benefits as well. Like, that's that's just amazing. And it means, maybe that also means that someone like Photoshop, a company like Photoshop, will then be able to more securely make sure that people are actually allowed to use their application. Like, I'm guessing they could then, like, uh, identify the browser or do some crazy stuff like that. But, yeah. Once again, I'm doing too much guessing on this podcast. <laughs> it's just exciting times. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, the, with Wasm, I mean, that a lot of things are definitely opening up. And I think that's what gives technology like Flutter, Quasar, whatever else, uh, a chance to kind of shine. And now it's almost like, okay, well, if I can compile to native, then why can't I compile to Wasm, which is just going to be run on web? Or even now you're running, some people can actually run Wasm directly on hardware, which is also exciting. Um, I, I did want to get back to kind of uh, Quasar. The one thing I am kind of interested in, so you did say like if you want to get something native, maybe Quasar is not good for you. But what if I did like Quasar, and this is the place I want to stick in, but I wanted to maybe interface with Bluetooth or something like that where I actually need to reach into some native SDK. Like how, yeah. how difficult is um, that Great to do question. I don't have a lot of experience with this, but I do have knowledge around it. Um, and basically it's just as difficult as it would be if you were doing it with an Electron app. Um, and so basically... To the best of my knowledge, you can just install Electron plugins. So people have been solving this problem already. So let's just say you want to access Bluetooth on a desktop app. You get the Electron Bluetooth plugin, and then you interface with that. And then you've basically got direct access to Bluetooth on that person's, uh, on that user's computer. Uh, and it's the same as something like Cordova. You'd have to get the Cordova Bluetooth 
plugin. I don't think people are using Cordova as much anymore, though. They're using this other one, which the name of it escapes me. Um, but to the, I, they're actually enabling Bluetooth now on PWAs as well. And so if you work for... Yeah, there's a Bluetooth within yeah, your browser. The other one. And I think you're talking so, about capacitor, so this is right? really exciting That's the one you're because if you, if you aren't concerned with putting your application on the App Store and basically getting it opened up to... You know, that, that can be important to some people because they want to get to a wider audience. But for a lot of us, we're building applications for companies. We're doing internal stuff. And so the idea of getting somebody to install that app on their phone with a PWA, like for a lot of us, that's totally fine. Um, and actually preferable, a preferable route for our clients to download our application. And so if we can access things like GPS and Bluetooth with a PWA, then we don't even have to worry about doing this interfacing through Electron or Capacitor. But if you want to do that, uh, it's there, it's available to you. Uh, I would be curious to know, to, to know though, if you're using Dart, um, oh, with Flutter, can you, can you access Bluetooth in one way? Or do you have to access Bluetooth in different ways depending on the platform? Does that make sense? Like, do you need a cater for Bluetooth on a mobile and Bluetooth on a, on a desktop device? Uh, yeah, so we do have a bunch of plugins in our ecosystem, similar to, to you guys. Um, so we could just check to see if there's something similar over there and just pull it in. Um, but at the same time, you can also reach in and you could just do the native work yourself. It's actually not too difficult. Um, what you do is you have to open up what's called a platform channel. So it's almost like a, like a web socket between the Dart code and the native code, and you can send like JSON back and forth or whatever you want to do. It doesn't really matter. It's kind of up to you. And yeah, so for whatever you want to interface with, you have to actually build that platform code. So if you don't build something for a web, then you won't have that web ability. Um, so that that's both a positive and a negative. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. If you don't use web, you don't really care. If somebody else can use your plugin and you didn't implement web, it could be a problem, right? But then you could also just say, okay, if you're using web, you don't have this ability. Like if it's, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of something that now, like you said, web is, oh, it's it's available near anywhere, but like, let's say it's um, some iOS specific uh, thing like live camera or, 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 or shaking, you know, like shake to undo, right? You can't really shake your web browser necessarily. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you had this, like, then that would be kind of like a, you know, tough luck kind of thing. Um, but yeah, but the, the, the nice part about this is, you know, you may say, oh, that kind of sucks. Well, I mean, it depends on how you look at it, right? If it's a cutting edge feature and there's no plugin for it, but you want to use it, there's literally nothing stopping you from just cracking open and just creating a plugin. And if that feature is only available on for like iOS, because they're at, they're, you know, every year or so they introduce new features, then what can you do, right? Android doesn't support it. Your web doesn't support it. Desktop doesn't support it. What can you do, right? Then you're just kind of stuck like that, no matter which technology you're going to use, your your SOL, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, but like I said, the nice part is that if it nobody made it yet, you can do it. If you can, if you can write the native code, you can do it. And I've written a couple of plugins already, and I've also contributed to some plugins too. And um, the thing about plugins is, and I think you can probably also vouch for this: no matter what you use, if the plugin ecosystem is bad, the technology you chose is going to be bad. That's just the way it is, right? And, and that's really kind of the good and bad about Flutter is that the good thing is that the the ecosystem for plugins is pretty decent, but the fringe part, you know, things that really out there, Bluetooth even, is uh, not highly used by a lot of people. You know, it's I've heard people also saying, I wish there was some better Bluetooth library. 
I mean, Quasar, I, I guess you probably never ran into something where you couldn't use it, uh, but you wanted to find it. I don't yeah, know if you have not in, very not in that scenario. That. Not in terms of like um, getting closer to the hardware. I can't say that I have. The only thing that we would probably end up using in the future is something like GPS. Um, and yeah, that seems to be pretty well supported. Though apparently, I don't know if this has changed, apparently GPS is less accurate when you're doing it through the browser on your phone and you can get more accuracy if you're not using your phone. And so I'll have to just cross that bridge when it comes. But uh, but yeah, you're totally right. It totally depends on the ecosystem itself. And I mean, the great thing is Quasar is not the plugins ecosystem. You have Quasar, which exports to the desktop using Electron. And the cool thing about that is Electron is huge now, like really big now. And so the ecosystem for that is awesome. And we got, so we can just tap into that entire ecosystem. You know, and it's the same when you're exporting to mobile or any other platform. We're basically just going off the back of those other ecosystems, which is, which is awesome because they've been around for a while. Um, and it's not like you need to create a Quasar Bluetooth plugin. You just use the Electron Bluetooth plugin sort of thing. So... Um, I, I can't imagine that would be much of a problem, though I haven't gotten to that bridge yet. So, I don't know, maybe I'll have to come back at some time in the future and we can talk about it. And I'll let you know the problems I have when I run into that. Yeah, I, I am kind of curious, though. Like, so let's say I do need a very custom plugin. Um, how comfortable are, are you as somebody who's been working a lot with Quasar and kind of promoting it? Like, how, how comfortable are you to, like, actually create a custom plugin? Um, do you Do you have a... I mean, do you find it like difficult or have you actually tried? It sounds like you haven't tried yet, but I'm just thinking like if for some reason one of these plugins for, because that's the problem with big ecosystems, like look at Node.js, there's so many libraries and like you can left pad yourself, right? <laughs> it may happen someday. You got to fix it. Like, you know, do you think you can actually crack open it's got a two ways to answer that question, a new one to, to um, fix your needs? There's plugins and then there's app extensions. So for quite... So if you're building a web app and you want to export to these different platforms, um, Quasar is going to do most of the work for you. Most of your apps will export fine to Electron. If you want to dive into the Electron world, then you're free to. There's a whole different world there and you can access any aspect of Electron. You can tap into any part of Electron you could possibly want to with Quasar. Now that world I do not have any experience with. I've never needed to touch it. And honestly, I hope that I never have to touch it. Otherwise, you know, I might have to start learning different languages and all of that. Um, but then there's Quasar app extensions. For, for extending Quasar itself, like creating your own components. Or um, one thing I do, one extension that I've created um, that I'm using at the moment is a Laravel Sanctum extension for Quasar. Um, so Laravel Sanctum is just a way that you can hook up Laravel, which is a backend framework, to a front-end SPA. But the problem is there's so many edge cases you have to handle with things like routing. Like if you go to the login page and you're already logged in, then that should take you to the home page. If you go to the register page uh, and you're already logged in, what's going to happen then? Uh, if you log out and you try to go to the home page, you want it to take you back to the login page. There are so many things that these frameworks don't cover. Um, and you're just, it's just left up for you to, to handle that yourself. And so the really cool thing about Quasar is that you can tap in to every aspect of its technology. And that I do have experience with. So Quasar itself, so it uses Webpack to do the compiling behind the scenes. 
Um, it uses View Router in order to handle like the different pages that you go to. It uses it used to use Vuex for state, but now it's becoming agnostic to state management. But so that's another story. But there is there is a huge pro to this. A huge pro to this. I know that somebody who's using a Quasar app now is going to have access to View Router, and I know that they're going to have access to um, other parts of Quasar, all of Quasar's component library as well. So I can create an app extension. I can extend Quasar with my own app extension, and I can use any component I like, and I can hook into those different things. And this means that I was able to create a plugin that has the login screen handled for you. You can custom build it if you want, but or you can use my custom built login screen. All of the routing handled for you, so you can custom say, for example, this is the login page, this is the register page, these routes are public, these routes are not public, um, and, and so it'll basically handle all the routing and all the redirecting for you behind the scenes. And it's uh, one of the things I love about Quasar is that I can tap into it and extend it in this way using Quasar's app extensions um, in ways that you can't do with other frameworks. And the reason is it makes a lot of decisions for you. So the fact that it says where you're using View Router um, and the fact that it says these are the components that will be available to you because you are using Quasar means I can actually do a lot of extra work that I would not be able to do if I was using another framework that doesn't give me those bare bones. Uh, and so... To sort of answer that question, when it comes to those lower level things, I've never needed to extend it and I don't have experience with it. Um, and most people won't need experience with that. Honestly, I'd probably hire someone um, to do it for me if I really needed um, work in that area. But in terms of extending Quasar's functionality, which is actually a completely different thing, um, that I do have experience with. And it, it's awesome. It's like a whole, It's like a whole new world. <laughs> it's, it's it, you can just plug you can just plug into absolutely any aspect of it. So, yeah, I think that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, definitely, I think so. So, yeah, the only thing is, you also always hear about how not performant. Uh, uh, sorry, Electron is right. That's kind of like what it's been known for. That's because it piggybacks on Google, but the same thing. Google Chrome is really secure compared to other things, and that's kind of the benefit. That's kind of the negative is that because it's secure, the way it secures everything, that's you know what you have to deal with is a little bit more bloat, right? But yeah, to me that's okay. Um, I think we're gonna start to kind of wrap up a bit over here because there's a lot we can talk about with this. Um, I am kind of curious about like. Uh, with Quasar, like what kind of state management do you use and how would you compare it to something uh, else? Yeah, okay, good maybe question. maybe people in other um, communities might understand. In the online community, people are probably familiar with Flux. Uh, and we have basically our own implementation of Flux that's kind of more paired with Vue called Vuex. So this isn't Quasar stuff now. This is more Vue. And Quasar, you know, is built on top of Vue. And the way you handle state with Vue is Vuex. Um there's a big caveat here, though, and that is that the way state is being managed with Vue is changing because we used to use this method where you would have your state and then you would have uh, your mutations, which would change the state, and then your actions. And then your actions, we call the mutations, which would then change the state. Uh, and so it's we found that that was a little bit complicated. It was good to begin with because it gave a really good developer experience because 
basically Quasar comes with its own, uh, sorry, Vue comes with its own dev tools for Vuex. And by separating it into actions and mutators, you could just get a better dev experience because they could track um, asynchronous requests easier. So you'd use um, actions for asynchronous requests and muta- mutations for synchronous um, stuff. And by doing that, you could get a better development experience. But they're actually uniting those now. And so you've just got actions and your state. And so so at the moment, we're still doing things the old way, but they have an RFC for Vuex 5, uh, which is basically going to handle state in this kind of simpler way. And it's also going to allow you to do things more modular. I don't want to go too deep into this, but Vue 3, the new version of Vue, uses something called the Composition API, which makes it so much easier to manage your code, especially for larger projects. Um, and that kind of ch- is going to change the way that we use state. Um, now, having said all of that, there's another library that's come out recently called Pina. And Pina is actually built using, uh, it's basically feature parity for Vuex, the Vuex 5 RFC. So it's kind of like a proof of concept for Vuex 5. But it's turned out to be so popular and people are loving it so much that they're just using it. And so the state management library I'm using at the moment is Vuex 5, um, sorry, is Vuex 4, because that's what we started off with. Uh, but for new projects, I would recommend using Pina, and that's kind of what I use for new projects now. Because then, when Vuex Five comes out, I can move from Pina to Vuex Five quite easily. So that's that's kind of like deeper view community stuff, though. So <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I'm using for state management. But then on top of that, actually, you guys might find this interesting. Uh, there's a library called Vuex ORM, and basically, this is an ORM for the front end, which is insanely cool. And it just makes it so much easier to deal with data on this front end. So you can do stuff like, um, if you have a model for a user, for example, you can say user.find and then send through the user ID. Um, but then you can define all your relationships as well and do stuff like user.query. And then you can say with uh, posts and then with the comments for those posts. And then you know, with the user that made that comment on that post, and you can start fetching data uh, in an ORM style. It's, it is it is insanely cool. And so that's how I actually think of state these days. I use Vuex ORM so that I'm basically, I basically get an ORM for my state on the front end. That's pretty cool. I have to take a look at this. It sounds pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I think we're a little bit out of time, it, it said. I think I might actually have you come back to talk more about this. This is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, otherwise, is there any kind of shout-outs you want um, to give? Before I would we definitely recommend up? people check out Stack Blitz. Uh, it's awesome, just because it's something that we talked about in the podcast. Uh, yeah, and check, just take a look at Quasar, if, especially if you're a web dev. Um, and maybe you want to do something with SSR. In fact, this could be a really good use case for Flutter people. If you still want to keep that material design feel for your website and you really need SSR right now, maybe maybe Quasar would be a good option for the meantime uh, if you want to try using it for SSR. But yeah, just like check it out, have a play around with it. It's pretty easy to get up and running with uh, if you've got stuff like NPM, Node.js installed on your system, you know, it's it's pretty simple. You just install the Quasar CLI and just say Quasar create, name your app, and then Quasar Dev, and you you're kind of off, and you can start building building something cool. So yeah, d- definitely go ahead and and check that out if you're interested. Um, but yeah, if you want to learn the framework, then 
I've got a website called quasarcast.com. So you can go to quasarcast.com and yeah, check out some of the videos there. The first eight videos of a getting started guide I've, for a to-do app that I'm currently building um, is up there. So yeah, if you want to build a to-do app with Quasar, then check that out. Okay, sounds good. So we will definitely have that in the show notes. And otherwise, I'll see you next time. Hopefully see you again soon. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me on. It was, it was lots of fun. <laughs> no problem. All right. And see you guys next time.